All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you all for joining me. Looks like we got a few people rolling in here. Late to church, are we? Cat Links, Chelsea Chase, uh, B Strut, what's happening? Steve Holding, UK Listening, welcome. Zoe, Zoe, what's happening? Beth Henson, Mike Bravo, GM Grassi, uh, MC Little. Thank you all for joining me today. Uh, so good to see you all, though I'm not really seeing you, the digitalized version of you. You are watching and listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Marty Leeds. You can get this podcast at GnosticAcademy.org. You can also get the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour there, and you can get this podcast on all sorts of places like Apple Tunes or iTunes, whatever they, the kids call it these days, um, FM Player and Spotify and all those other wonderful places. So we're, we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to launch right into it. Once again, we do service every Sunday, 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. If you would like to join the service and be with the community, the fellowship, live, you are able to do that. And so, and I highly encourage you to go to your local church, um, me being the local church online. Just so everybody knows, if you do not have a copy of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, my, my new book, Lord Jesus Christ, What's Your Major Malfunction? If you don't, I would highly recommend you getting a copy, uh, about 550 pages, exploring of the Jesus Christ, um, the mysteries through um, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. And I also have this, the Peacock's Tales, the Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis, the Peacock's Tales, the updated version. This will be, this will be for sale by next Sunday. Um, I got a review copy back and I still had to make some changes. So that's just about ready. And then I'm working on volumes one through three, the uh, re-edit of that. So lots of stuff coming up on the horizon today. So we're going to launch right into it because we've got a lot to cover today. We're going to unveil Genesis today. And this is going to be a tasty treat for everybody, okay? So this is episode 15 of the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to be doing Unveiling Genesis Chapter 1. We'll actually go into Chapter 2 just a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about lots of stuff today. Before we get into this, I just want to say a few things. Um, hopefully my internet situation is better. I just want to say a few things. This, we're going to be doing a... Um, we're, this is this is going to be a very... Uh, I mean, we're going to get in-depth, but it's going to be, in one sense, a surface layer understanding of, of Genesis, this first chapter, because there's so many layers to this uh, everything that's being said here. There's no way we could possibly do it in an hour and a half that we're going to do it. So um, barely going to touch on any math today. Once again, um, probably should just do a whole live stream on just the math that's encoded in there. Mention a few things. But uh, other than that, we're basically just going to talk about the symbolism, the themes, the elements, the, the you know, the things that are expressed in Genesis and what they mean. So, so let's do it. First, as we do, let's do a prayer. I want to say, I want to thank uh, Mark uh, Brotherson. He's a son. He's a brother. He's Mark. Um, he sent me this and uh, it's a prayer. So if you guys have any prayers that you'd like to send that you'd like me to say before the service, I'll be happy to do that. So he sent this one and I thought it was, I thought it was pretty dang good. So let's say it. Um, before I tip my computer over here. Let's see if this works. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me from the bondage of my lower self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties in this task and may victory over them bear witness to those I would help with thy love, thy power, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always Amen. Okay, that's a good way to start. I want to read this really quick. This is this will be a good way to. This is really what I'm all about. Um, this it was the uh, it's from an article. I think it was like in the 20s or something like that. But it's um, Harriet Tuttle Bartlett, and she was an esotericist. And this is what she has to say about the Bible. 
And I could have written this myself because it's just, it's so, uh, so poignant. Uh, Harriet Tutlet, uh, Tuttle, excuse me, Harriet Tuttle Bartlett, who lectured on the message of the ages at the county courthouse Sunday night, made some interesting comments on the warfare between science and the scriptures. She declares that beneath the letter of the text, the spirit was concealed in a way that preserved the inner teaching from mutilation through age after age. Miss, Mrs. Bartlett stated that the fundamental truths of all religions have been taught from the very beginning of time, that the great ideals of humanity has held, um, that the great ideals of the, the great ideals humanity has held were the same in the beginning as now, and that the same ethical standard has been maintained in the mystery of mystery work of all times. In other words, the message is still retained in the Bible and will will remain in there through the ages. If people were generally informed along these lines, she said denominationalism would disappear. Amen. And it would be seen that there are no real barriers between the great religions of the world. That's exactly what we teach. Universal truths. And they are in the Bible. Uh, all right, let's get into it. First off, we're going to talk about Genesis today. We've already covered this in one of the other live streams. You remove the vowels of Genesis and you remove the vowels of Gnosis and you have the exact same letters. Okay. Now, for those of you that don't know, um, the original Hebrew... The original Torah was written without letters, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, we're not going to really touch on that today, but we've discussed that before. Um, everybody can hear me, right? Good, good, good. Transcends culture and time. That's right, Jen Bru the Pious. So we're going to talk about Genesis today. So let's look at the word, actually word Genesis. So why, do, why the language is extremely nuanced, extremely particular. There's no word in the Bible that was chosen willy-nilly, okay? So here we have the first book of the Old Testament, um, first five books of the Torah, the, you know, the revelation that Moses had, and they called Genesis. Now the word gene, we're actually going to see, I'm going to do a whole live stream on the cosmic egg and show how the Genesis... The themes and elements in Genesis reflect human genetics. And we're not going to really, I'm going to mention a few things here today. We're not going to discuss that whole thing. But basically, Genesis, one of the things that's being, um, one of this timeless wisdom that's being trans, you know, uh, uh, transferred in it or occulted or encrypted within the book is that Genesis, the creation story of the universe, reflects the creation story of you. That human genetics are embedded in the story down to the number of exosomes and shit. So it's pretty interesting. So anyway, we're looking at genes, genes, genesis, okay, genetics. Gene, um, when we look at the etymology, it says give birth to producer to beget is essentially what gene means, right? It's, um, and when you look at generation, it's an act or process of procreation, process of being formed. So it makes sense that this is called genesis. Gene, Genesis, once again, we can tie this to human genetics. We're not going to do too much today, but that's a whole other live stream. Um, I wrote, actually wrote about some of it, just the idea within this book, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. But the root of gene, Genesis, is generation, genealogy, gender, genitive, genitals, genius, gentile, gentle. Uh, genus, like the genus, a species, right? Genuine, okay? Look at the word, the roots of all these words, generation, genealogy, gender. It's all about procreation. It's all about basically, you know, the formation of the world, formation of the universe of you in genetics in that sense. Okay. So hence why they called it Genesis. There's actually once, a, once again, a bunch of math in the word Genesis that we're not even going to cover today. It actually points to your hands, but 
So let's read. I'm going to read the first five and then we'll take it apart and we're just going to read through the whole chapter. So we'll do it that way, okay? So Genesis chapter one, numero uno. In the beginning, so we're talking about time. So we're ta- already gives you a reference of time. And that's where you are. You're stuck in the past, present, and future. It all merges onto that one eternal moment of the now. And so this is setting up this whole thing. Hey, this is the introduction of the idea of time, that there has been a differentiation in the experience of the human being. There's not just a oneness, okay? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Notice heaven is singular here. We're going to discuss this today. Heaven is singular here. It's a very important. And it's only singular in um, mainly in the King James Version. And there's a particular reason for that, which we will cover today. It's going to be a long one. I've been saying that a lot. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1-2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Not the band. And God called the light day, and the darkness, once again, not the band. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening, and the morning, we're the first thing. Okay, so let's first talk about this, the first line here. In the beginning, God created what? Heaven and earth. Okay, so what do we have? We have a singularity, and from that singularity, we have a multiplicity, we have a duality, we have a polarity that is being created from a oneness. God is oneness. That's what he is. Unified, totality, universality. Everything is sourced from this ultimate oneness. Everything extends from it. There's nothing but this oneness. Everything returns to it. There's nothing outside of the oneness of God. So the first thing you have in this story is this notion that God, in the beginning, did a split. This oneness became two. Okay, and we're going to see this all over. This is poetry. What you're reading is poetry, plain and simple. It's it's poetic verse. And one of the things that they're referencing in here is, of course, the beginning. Um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He created the upstairs and the downstairs. Created the father and the mother. Okay. A lot of people think that the Bible is patriarchal because it's Jesus and he's a dude and God's a father and blah, 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 blah. And what they don't realize is what they're reading is poetry. Okay? So really what you have in the beginning here is this cosmic sexual union. That's what's being created. Spirit, matter, heaven, earth, metaphysical, physical. And we'll cover these, okay? And this is, so this is poetry. God, in, the, in the beginning, God created upstairs and downstairs. Okay? Now this, th- th- this is, when you look at the language that surrounds mother, the terms mother and father, okay? So mother comes from, and you can even see this here. I don't have it um, highlighted there. Sorry about that. But you can either see mater, mother, from a uh, source also from mater, Old English, mathir, right? This is where we get the word matter. So the material world down here is our motherly earth. Now, biblical scholars will be like, well, it doesn't say Mother Earth in the Bible. Well, this is the thing. these are all the things that are injected in the Bible and all the language that's used particularly that you have to extract this higher wisdom, higher levels of wisdom from it, okay? So mother is, this is where it's, de- the term mother is derived from matter, mater, okay? Where we get the material world. Father is from pater, okay? So father is from patronos or patron, like the patron saints, that's literally father saints, patron saints of a, a church. I think it even says here. A Lord master who, one who protects, supports, or encourages, right? Protector, patron saint, etc. So father, pater, patron, patronos, 
is where we get the word patterns. Well, when we look up at the metaphysical heavens above, that's all we can understand about the heavens. We don't know what the sun is. We don't know what the moon is. We don't know what the stars are. We don't know what the blackness of space is. We don't know for absolutely certain that there's some sort of firmament up there. What can we do, though? We can look up and see the patterns of our Father heaven above, the Father mating at one with the Mother Earth, okay? Genesis, this is exactly what's happening. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the spirit and the matter, okay? And this is what, this is the upstairs and the downstairs. This is as above, so below, okay? Once again, this is as above, so below is expressed in the Lord's Prayer, in earth as it is in heaven. Um, metaphysical, physical. Incorporeal, upstairs. Corporeal, downstairs. In other words, father upstairs, mother downstairs. Metaphysical, incorporeal, celestial, terrestrial. Spirit, matter. Okay, material. Um, they're one. Once again, they come from the same source. In the beginning, God created these things. Okay, creation is a term specifically used for what? Intent, purpose, right? You don't just create, when you create something, you have an intention in it. There's blueprints, there's a design, there's an order, there's a structure. You have a beginning and an end. I have an idea for this creation and it's going to be complete as we see in Genesis. Metaphysical, physical, incorporeal, corporeal, celestial, terrestrial, immaterial, material, spirit, matter, father, mother, heaven, earth, compass, square. Okay, same sort of thing. So that's what we have. And now, once again, we've discussed this many times. Heaven is a circle, earth is a square. It's represented as these geometric forms. And it's, I mean, this this notion is shared all throughout the world. We're not even going to touch on that today. You, know, you can go, once again, we've discussed this if you want to know the... Um, directly um, square encompasses in the eternal story of salvation was a sermon that we did where we discussed that. Okay. W look at this. Think about this in a geometric term before we move on. And this is, the, I'll just show this quick just to put this in your head and then we'll revisit it later and we'll go step by step through this thing. You have this story of what? In the beginning, you have a circle. In the beginning was the just heaven, if you will, right? In the beginning, there was just this thing called God, right? Which really has, you can't name it. It's beyond understanding. It's beyond all dualities. It's beyond all polarities. It's beyond the beyond. There's, you know, that sort of thing. In the beginning, what do we have? We have God. We have a circle of creation. What happens in the beginning? He split that circle. The first thing you have geometrically is you can understand the Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Beginning, heaven, earth, spirit, matter, immaterial, material. This is the creation of pi geometrically. You're taking a wholeness, you're taking the wholeness from God, which will always remain actually whole. It's only in our perception that he is divided in our experience. What do we have? A circle, you throw a diameter right down that baby, and boom, you've got spirit matter, heaven and earth. From this, we have, you know, it's because there's nothing halved in this world. It's actually, everything is even, even half pieces are still a whole thing. In this notion that they're, um, you know, God can't half himself. So what actually is created? When the breaking of that circle, you actually have two circles created, and this is the Vesca Pisces. Okay, I'm just going to mention this here once again to put this in your head for revisiting later. But this is one of the first forms you make in, in sacred geometry. One of the things they're telling you about is geometry here. Math. Um, like I said, we're not going to touch on that too much today, but it's, it's all in there. Provably so as well. Um, this is the seed of life construction. And, it, and it's basically, at least in, in the... In the 
what do I want to say, symbolically anyway, you can make a correlation between the creation of the universe geometrically and the creation of cells and meiosis, which is the basically the, the in, in human reproduction, this is the process of cell reproduction. So you have this idea that one cell becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So I just want to mention that, okay? Um, we'll touch on that a little bit at the end. In Genesis, look what you have going on here. Um, as we read more, you'll, you'll see this, but you have a duality being created right away, right? Heaven and earth. We'll see um, chaos and order in just a second here. Light and darkness. Notice there's, there's a good here, but no evil yet. As we'll see, it's all good. It's all good in God's world. Uh, darkness and night, evening and morning. This is the duality that you have just constantly put in your head all throughout Genesis. Here, here, here. Here's a duality. Here's a duality. Here's a polarity. Here's a polarity. Heaven, earth. Spirit of God without form. What's the spirit of God? Of course, form. You know, that sort of thing. Light, darkness, day, night, morning, evening, waters above, waters below, dry land, seas, greater light, lesser light, male, female. Okay? It's under this, the entire first chapter of Genesis is trying to beat into your head that you are in a land of, you're in a world, a dimensionality in which there is this once again splitting. To, there is a um, differentiation, there's a separation, there's a duality. Now, once again, this is just a perceived duality. This is the trick that human beings are um, put in to understand the wholeness and oneness and totality of God. So Genesis is, you know, um, it's basically telling you, look, duality, duality, duality. But where does that duality spring from? The wholeness and oneness of God. Everything comes from that. And this is trying to help you understand monotheism. Monotheism. Light, darkness, day, night, evening, morning, divided the waters, above, under, right? All of these things. Let's... So that's one of the things. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We'll get to that in just a second. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So let's look at this um, beginning here. Whoops. In the, earth, in the beginning, God created something. This is the, literally the what is that's the fifth word. So let's talk about there is a creator. He was created with creation. Okay, good. There was a plan. There's an order. This isn't just done haphazardly down here. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made every facet of this world. In the beginning, God created. He knew what he was doing. The earth. But it was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Wait, what? The first thing you're given is a contradiction. A paradox. In the first lines, God created something. But how can you create something when it's formless and void? It's without form and void. And how can you create something when, when, how can you create nothingness and it yet be deep, have the quality of being deep? Doesn't make any sense. No sense whatsoever. If you're taking this in a material sense, right? If you're, if you're looking at this as materiality, it doesn't make any sense. I created, right? <laughs> I created the world, but it's nothing. What? It's formless. Huh? What is being said here? This is... All language to let you know that God is is literally de designing all of this stuff in his head. The potentiality of what the earth is going to be is all being formed in God's head. And you're watching it in these lines right now. That's what you're watching. You can't create something when there's nothing. It's a paradox. What are the first two numbers in our number line? It's zero and one. Think about this. Think about 
In other words, the first thing that God created was the idea of something and a symbol of something, but it really was symbolic of what? Nothingness. Well, wait a second. If you have something, you can't have nothing. And if you have nothing, you can't have something. But you have to have something in order to understand nothingness, which is nothing. Ooh, we got some issues here. This is an introduction into the philosophy of math. One of the things that's going on here. So it's talking about metaphysical. We're looking at the mind of God forming the world right now. Okay. So, um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form. That's chaos. Something that's without form is chaos, and it's void. There's nothing that's there. There's nothing to form. There's no structure. There's no pattern. I can't deassemble de this thing. I can't see the points and the plane, and I can't do anything. It's formless. So, that's chaos. So, in the beginning, what it's telling you about is there was waters of chaos. Then the next thing it tells you about is order. So, Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Okay? Now, what's being said here? So this is, once again, chaos, order. You're given one line is, up. Oh, he took a bunch of chaos and he brought it to order, which is exactly what you are to do with your experience in life down here. You're, you're brought into a world of complete chaos. Like, what is it? What's the meaning of life? Who am I? Where am I going? All these questions. What is earth? Is it round? Is it flat? Can I trust anybody? What's the purpose of life? 42. You know, all these questions. We have no idea. It's complete chaos. And you're to bring yourself to order. The spiritual message is in line one, by the way. Where do you do this? Where do you do this whole process? Ultimately, you have to do the first thing is go in. So, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Chaos, order. Now, when the order is established, what is also established? God's law. Because when, this is Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Which says what? If this is establishes the law. When God commands something, it is. It's not like, well, God said it, and then we're like, well, we're still debating on it. We're gonna throw. We're just gonna cast some. You know, we're gonna roll some dice to see if he was actually, you know, being genuine with what he says. No, no, no. When God says something, when God commands it, that's it. End of story. There is no. There's no. Well, ninety-eight percent. No, that's not how it is. And this is why it's so important that. You, you'll see this when God, in, throughout Genesis, God will say something and be like, yes, that's what happened because, and it was good. So God made this and it was good. It wasn't like God made this and it was like, eh, maybe it was kind of evil. Maybe it was good. Oh, he totally messed up. Nope. It's not how it is. God commands, says something, makes a law. There's no willy-nilly about it. It's how it is. And that's what's being said here. That's why it's so important, this second light, okay? Because if God would have just said something and was like, well, you know, I'm just 50-50 on this. Then it would be, and there was light. It'd be like, well, there's some light, right? And we got, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It was chaos. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of God, the breath of God, that's what spirit is. It's a reference to breath. It's the wind of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Okay? Very important language that's being used here. Um, okay, let's keep going here. Um... We see this notion, in fact, I just got a few books, Poetic Edda, I got um, Ovid's Metamorphosis, I got the Mahabharata, a few books, and you just open the beginning pages of like all of these classic works of literature that are, you know, and, um, you know, that reference religious, spiritual thought, they're going to basically tell you the same story. They're basically going to tell you the same thing. This is the Poetic Edda. In the earliest times did Emor live, was not sea nor land, it was chaos, it was void, it was a darkness upon the face of the deep, nor salty waves, there was no salty waves, it was just waters in heaven, neither earth was there, 
There was nothing. Earth was, he, God created Earth, but it was formless and void. Nor upper heaven. God, once again, all of this stuff is still in the mind of God, but a gaping nothing, formless and void and deep nothingness and green things nowhere was the land then lifted. Then he, as we're going to see, then he created earth. Um, and then it says from the south, the sun by the side of the moon, we're going to see lesser light, greater light. And then he, he heaved his, his right hand over heaven's rim. He made a firmament. This is, this is poetry. And if you read this correctly and you don't actually just hang on all of these sort of belief structures and systems, this is the exact same thing that's expressed in Genesis. There's no different. There's, and they're talking about the exact same creation story because there was only one creation story. Don't let any other religious people fool you on this. Here is um, Ovid's Metamorpho Metamorphosis. Meta Metamorphosis. The book is called Metamorphosis. What are you to do here? You're supposed to change yourself from the old to the new. No more old wine bottles or wine skins. And new wine bottles, all right? New wine and new wine bottles. Therefore, the earth and the sea and the all-encompassing heaven, uh, which men have called chaos. In other words, they're talking about the beginning of heaven and earth in Ovid's Metamorphosis. And there was a chaos and a crude, unstructured mass, nothing but weight without motion, a general... Once again, just a retelling of the same story. Here's the Enuma Elish. When in the height heaven was not named and the earth beneath did not yet bear a name. We'll see this again in, in, in uh, Genesis where actually Jesus, or I mean, excuse me, God, Christ, whatever, names heaven and earth and gives them particular pronouns. Um, they, us, we. Um, when in the height of heaven was not named and the earth beneath did not bear a name and chaos was there, the waters were mingled together. So there was some chaotic waters and there was nothingness. And then all of a sudden there was a form and no field was formed, no marshes. This is literally the same thing. Now, Genesis might have a more complete account, if you will. There might be more encryption in there. It's the same story, though. There's no different. Okay. What do we have when we say, uh, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And I actually, by the way, let me stop here a second. In uh, Lord Jesus Christ, my book, which you should pick up. Um, I have this whole chapter where I discuss all of these different, um, all these different religions and how they tell the same, essentially the same creation story. It's like, ah, oh, there was dark waters and there was nothingness and there was a heaven and earth and then the earth was lifted up and there was wind over the water and blah, 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 blah. Hindu, Egyptian, Islamic, Babylonian, Wichita, Apache, Indian, Cherokee, Maori, Hopi. You can go Enuma Elish, Ovid's Metamorphosis. Just, just keep going. Poetic Edda. It's the same thing. We're all fighting. Why? We're fighting over the a different telling of the exact same story. Let's just go to the story. Let's go to his story. Genesis 1-4, and God saw the light, that it was good, and now we've got a division. Look at what's happening here. What was the first thing? God was whole, unity, then he split. There was a division. And now it's saying it again. It's giving you all these mathematical terms. And then God divided the light. Okay? This is, um, oh, do I have this here? Let's do this. When we look at this, when we look at Genesis here we go. Look at Genesis. God said, let there be light. Genesis 1, 3. And there was light. This is the establishment of the law. Okay. Does everybody get that? I, I see Jacob Law gets it anyway. He's like, that's a great way to explain the law. Yes. This is exactly the depth. It's, you know, this is the announcement of the law. Now we read Genesis and we read it in poetically. Now people have said, well, why are you, well, I'll show you this. Okay. 
So in the beginning. If you're listening at home, just count on your fingers. The syllables in the first five verses of Genesis are broken up into a pentameter. A penta means five, meter means to measure, okay? So basically means a, a breakup of syllables of five. And it lands on the, the actual ending of verses, as you'll see. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. End. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Five. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. End of verse. Five again. And God said, let there be light. And there was, and this is where it stops, the, the breakup of these syllables. And then you have five letters of light. L-I-G-H-T. What happened in this part of the story? Why would the people that broke up the syllables, as they have, clearly have, in the first five verses of Genesis, why would they stop at that word light? Just as we just said, this is the announcement and declaration, God's holy commandment of when I say something, that's how it is. Okay? And God, so here we go. Let's say this again, Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was L-I-G-H-T. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. End of verse. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay? It's poetry. It's poetry. And it's poetry telling you about cosmic genesis, mind you. Okay? So, there we have, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Boom! And God saw the light, and it was good, and divided the light from the darkness. What do we have going on right now? We have the, start, the starting of the creation of time. The, st the starting of past, future, night, day. Right? So we're, and this is, once again, constantly repeated. So you'll get this. I got to make sure I keep coming back here in case I... Yeah, high five. Very cool. By the way, Jen Bru, the pious. Guys, think about this. What was, what was Moses' uh, great revelation? He was given how many books? Five books. Was he not? He was given five books. Okay. And then all of this stuff is broken up into the number five. Right? Okay, cool, right? I just want to mention that. It's called the Pentateuch, in fact. Penta, meaning five. Okay, so there's that. So, boom, we have the start of the creation of time. And this was the first day, as you notice, okay? So, let's, let's keep reading here. So, does everybody get where we're... Uh, I want to make sure we're on track here. I, do, I want to make sure I don't miss anything. God saw the light. It was good. Okay, let's move on. Genesis 1, 6. And God saw, or, and God said, notice this. Every verse starts with, and God said. Number one, this is a tell. This is, the reason people do this is number one, encryption methods. That's one of the reasons. But it's just like in poetry or in songwriting. When you repeat something, you repeat it because you want, you want to get that in people's head. It's a reiteration of what you were saying. And there's something, when you repeat something, just like a chorus in a song, Right? You, you repeat a song because you want people to remember the chorus, right? 
never had to knock on wood but but right you repeat that course i can't believe i just used that as an example but what was the mighty mighty bastards or something can you name any other verse in that song can you sing the verses of that song but you can sing the chorus right never had to knock on wood why because they want you to remember the chorus it's the big point of the song okay so, and God said, 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 let there be a firmament. Let's talk about the firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide. Oh, once again, we got a mathematical term dividing. We're dividing again. And God made the firmament. Look how many times they're saying firmament. In fact, I think five times, right? Yeah, five times. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Why waters in creation, mind you? Because most species are born from water. Number one, you're born in what? Amniotic fluid. The breaking of the waters. The same thing that's happening in Genesis is the same thing that's happening in your genetics. We'll cover that in another live stream. Let there be a firmament in the waters. And God made the firmament and divided waters which were under the firmament from waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. Okay? So, they could have said, they could have, once again, you have to realize as like a, like a, a songwriter or a poet or any sort of author whatsoever, they could have said, let there be a firmament in the midst. And then the next line they could have said, and then, and then God made the expanse, which run to the front. And then God made a dome. They could have said, uh, there's probably 10, 20 different ways you could have said that. But what did they do? They said firmament, 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 firmament. Why? Because they want you to focus on the word firmament. Okay? Um... And we'll talk about the firmament in just a second here. But what's the first thing that's happening in this creation of the firmament? Waters were divided. Okay. What happens, and we've talked about this before, but this gets to, gets to allows you to understand the, this idea of reflectivity in, in creation. Right? How there's this as above, so below. Man and woman. That sort of thing. You, you get the, you know, even your body is symmetrical. Right? Your left eye, right eye, left ear, right ear, that sort of thing. It's trying to get you to understand... Um, not only the mirroring in creation, but also the mirroring in mathematics as well, which is something um, I cover quite a bit. So what happens when wa waters a mirror reflects, just like you see in the upper right corner there, right? Um, it reflects. It's reflectivity. So what happens when you put water on water? It reflects itself. That's what happens. You put water on water and it reflects itself. So in, in the beginning, we have this firmament and you have water reflecting on water. Ooh, sage bear. Tasty, my brother. We're going to get to that. A solid mind. Ooh, not bad, huh? Yes, water carries memory. Ooh, ooh, nice. Yes, exactly. That's great, Beth. Water, yes, carries memory as well. So there's a whole other aspect. What are we going to talk about today? Water reflects on water. So now you have a reflection on a reflection. Where's the reflection happening? Upstairs and downstairs. There's water above and water below. So water's reflecting on water right now, okay? So a mirror image in a plain mirror is a reflected duplication of an object that appears almost identical but is reversed, okay? It's a mirror surface. Reflection, um, often substances such as a mirror or water. So the most natural thing in the world, water, has what property to it? One of the most important properties of water out of its many. Reflectivity. Okay? This comes from, I just got this as well. This comes from the Upanishads. Okay? This is the sixth kanva, kanda, excuse me. Reflection is better than consideration. The earth reflects as it were, and thus does the sky, the heaven, the water, the mountains, gods and men. I mean, 
those stupid Hindus, they have no idea what they're talking about. They're not like us proud, understanding, noble, righteous Christians, even though their book is literally saying the exact same thing. Therefore, those who among men obtain greatness here on earth seem to have obtained a part of the object of reflection because they show a certain repose of manner. Thus, while small and vulgar people are always quarreling, abusive, and slandering, great men seem to have obtained a part of the reward of reflection. Meditate on reflection. He who meditates on reflection is Brahman, is Lord and Master, as it were, as far as, as, far as reflection reaches. He who meditates on reflections as Brahman. Brahman is the cosmic God. What is it saying? He who reflects on God will understand that God is reflecting down into him. That's what it's saying. Better than consideration. Meditate on reflection. This is exactly what's going on in Genesis. There's a firmament. And there's a reflection on a reflection. I just want to mention this. Genesis 1.6 and 1.7. This is just some math. I'm just going to throw this out here. We just looked at, um, here's Genesis 1, 6 and 1, 7. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Lots of firmaments. Lots of dividing and reflecting going on. This is the gematria value of those two verses. which express to you reflection and they reflect in their gematria. Now, lots of other Bibles do not do this. The King James does, though which shows you the level of um, like how much, once again, they've kept up that um, the gematria, the, the occulted nature of the scripture. So there it is, Genesis 1-6, 1-7. 384, 483, 384-483, 384-483, 384-483. What are those? Those are reflections. Genesis 1-6 and 1-7 are perfect mirrors. This is when God created a mirror above and below. Water, reflecting on water. 384, the number that you get from this is a calendrical number. It's 13 lunar months. The lunar month is one of the lunar months that you can, um, you can map the, the lunar month in different ways. 28, 29.53, point, what is it? 27.3, I think is the other one, right? Um, sidereal, synodic, etc. Different ways to map the moon, of course. One of them is a, is a synodic lunar month, which is 29.53 days in which it gets back to its synod, if you will. So uh, 13 times 29.53 is, is, is uh, the mirrors. It's exactly what's going on. It's 384. So once again, we were just talking about how what is going on. It's the creation of time. And, what, and then they give you mirroring in the occultation of the verses. And then they actually give you a calendrical number. <laughs> it's almost like these people knew what they were doing. It's almost like whoever wrote the Bible was freaking genius. Okay. Firmament. Um, sage bear, very sage of you. Very sage of you, good sir. Okay. What does firmament mean? Why did they use the word firmament when they could have used a dozen other terms? They repeated it five times. Why? Because they want you to focus on the word firmament. Firmament. Make, to firm, when is something firm, it's make firm and establish. Ment is a variation of mental, inner pertaining of the mind, characteristic of the intellect from the Latin, uh, from the late Latin mentalis of the mind. Mentis is another is another word. So make firm, establish firm. Also, like the definition of firm means securely fixed in place. So securely fixed in place in your mind. What? I thought we were talking about shit that's upstairs. 
I thought we were talking about a dome. You know, like the poetic Edda said, he's like, and his right hand, he made, he put this dome over top. I thought we were talking about that. And then all of these words are talking about what? Your mind. Your mind. Okay? Common suffix of Latin origin forming from nouns, uh, originally from French and representing Latin mentum. These are all variations. These words are chosen very specifically because they have occult meanings. Okay? The firmament is your head. Sage bear. Excellent. The firmament is your head. You have a firm mind. Water is reflecting on water. And then they even give you calendrical numbers in which they show reflection. And it's saying what? There's water down here and water up there and reflecting on one another. And you're born from this water. Everything is born from this water. So your head, your firm mind is a reflection of the firm mind above. Okay? And this is why... And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is understanding that the constellations, of course, there's not a serpent holder up there. Of course, that's not actually a bird, Aquila or Cygnus. Of course, that's not actually a lion. And of course, that's not some stupid big bear up in the heavens. Those are just star patterns. Father, Paternos, Father, Pater. Those are patterns in the sky and the metaphysical that they've delineated into what? Animals, you know, symbols, right? You know, and those symbols are archetypes of the mind, archetypes of the creation itself, but archetypes of the mind. We're all a serpent holder. We all seek to fly up into the heavens like Aquila the bird. We all got a, We all have that lion that uh, the you know the the part of our heart in which we have to seek out the lion heartedness of our heart, right? There's all sorts of things um, that uh, the constellations are referencing, archetypes of the mind. And so we have these constellations up there. They're reflected in here. And this is exactly one of the things that the Zodiac Man, that we've covered time and time again throughout these, these sermons, that's one of the things they're saying. Everything that's up there is within you. Why would any Christian deny that when it's written large right in their book many, many times? Okay? So that's what's, that's what's one of the things that's going on here. What, I'm, once again, this is a shellac. There's so much more we could talk about here, but... Once again, for um, just to keep this thing moving. Um, now what happens? And God called the firmament heaven. With a capital H. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Once again, a division. Evening and morning. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. Now heaven is lowercase. He did a proper noun in heaven. Then he did it with earth as well. And God called the dry land earth with a capital E. Let's go back to Genesis 1, 1. Um, those are lowercase. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Why are they lowercase and why are they uppercase later? Well, because once again, this is all in the mind of God. He's establishing the ideas. This earth term of heaven isn't just the dome upstairs. It's all of the metaphysicality of our creation. It's all the spirit of our creation. The earth is all the material. Then later on, when he actually goes and makes it a proper noun and says, oh, now you're heaven with a capital H and now you're earth with a capital a, with a capital E. What does he say in there? Now, this is really, even though this is the material realm and it's earthly, now it's going to have an official name and it's called earth. Up there, even though heaven is the spiritual realm and this is a firmament, now it's going to have a, an actual name, heaven. Not heavens. Heaven. Okay. So you have, you have God delineating these with proper nouns, proper names now, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Ooh, smaller case. We got the minuscule there. And now we got a majuscule. 
And God, uppercase, lowercase. And God called the firmament heaven. Woo, the big H. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good, okay? So now it's not just the metaphysical. I mean, it is. It's not just the metaphysical and the physical. It is that as well. But now there are particular names given to these stations in our, in our experience. That's heaven and this is earth. Do you know what one of the Bibles um, that we looked, looked at, I think it was the God's, don't quote me, but I think it's the God's word translation or something like that. It literally says in the beginning, God, I think it says in the beginning, God made the universe. Holy God, what are you doing? Terrible Bible translations. You just took a meat cleaver to one of the greatest works of literature of all time and destroyed every bit of the meaning. This is why I get so passionate, why I'm so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very forthright when it comes to read the authorized King James Version and we'll show you why it's not heavens until the second verse. And God saw, this is Genesis 1, 11, and God said, let there, oh, do I have this? Oh, I think I have this. Yeah, I got to show you this too. A little more math. I'll just throw this at you. But, And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in, it, in itself. The fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. What you have going on right here is now the idea of self-replication. Now it's not just God making everything. God's going to make something. And when in this creation, it's going to be able to self-replicate. This tree is going to sprout. The oak tree is going to sprout a little nut. And the nut is going to get into the ground and it's going to grow. And everything that's in that little nut, the whole tree is in that nut. Get it? Self-replication. This is called fractals in modern day mathematics. You could easily do this and um, come to this conclusion just using basic geometry um, let me give you an example. You make a pentagram, right? And you, in the pentagram, there's another, or, you know, there's a pentagon within the pentagram. And then in that pentagon, you can make another pentagram. And in that pentagram, you can make another, there's another pentagon. And then that pen- pentagon, you can make another pentagram and etc., etc., etc. ad infinitum. And next thing you know, we've got the infinite mirrors going on again. Okay. Self replication is going on. Okay. There's also metaphysical notions here that, once again, I have to sort of brush over. But this is the vowels, or this is the consonants of Genesis 1.1, or Genesis 1.11, excuse me. Genesis 1.11, what we just read. Let them bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, blah, 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 right? Genesis 1.11. It's 364. <laughs> they, just, they were just telling you, once again, in the story, the creation of time. Then they give you the mirroring, and then it gives you literally calendrical numbers. Then you go another few verses and what does it do again? It gives you more math to tell you about time. 364 is a calendrical number. 364, 365. Um, We've talked about that before. I have to sort of brush over that as well. But So this notion that self-replication, this is fractals, okay? So a fractal is a type of mathematical shape that are infinitely complex. In essence, a fractal is a pattern that it's a father right? That repeats, we're pattern recognizers. That's what, that's what we are as human beings. We're pattern recognizers. We're father recognizers. You're just seeing patterns, Marty. You're a doofus. You mean to tell me I'm seeing God all the time? I totally agree. (laughs) So a fractal is a type of mathematical shape that are infinitely complex. In essence, a fractal is a pattern that repeats forever. And every part of the fractal, regardless of how zoomed in or how zoomed out you are, it looks very similar to the whole image. Okay, and this is this idea. 
you go into the, the, the tiny, tiny, oh, the little small, you go into the, oh my God, I don't want my freaking internet to roast here, my Lord. You go into the tiny, tiny, and in the tiny is the big. And the entire thing has the small in it. And in that small is the big. And we've all seen fractals before. This is the Mendelbrot set. You go into the little turtle. It's turtles all the way down as we, as we see. Oh, you go into the big. And we go, oh, there's a tiny one there. Oh, it's the seed. And then that seed grows into the whole tree. And in that tree, oh, there's another seed. And then you just keep going. And you keep going. And you keep going. And you keep going. And eventually, what are you going to get to again? The tree. It's a, it's, it's a mathematical, once again, they're referring to math here. They're not specifically referring to fractals because that's another idea. But this is just an expression, a mathematical expression of a universal truth, an axiom of this creation. What you've all, I mean, maybe not all of us, but we've all planted trees before and things like that. We've all seen seed drops, right? Okay. That's what it's referencing here. This is self-replication happening. Okay. I'm already lost. Here we are. Self-replication. Whose seed is in itself. Okay, and the earth, uh, Genesis 1, 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, once again, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. Kind, we're going to mention that in just a second here. Kind is a reference to species, um, but it also has more meanings than that. So, um, and then what, what do we see? Oh, and God saw it was good. He, ma he made another thing and he wasn't like, ooh, ah, I should have done that over again. Ooh. I only, you know, he didn't, in other words, God didn't phone anything in when he was creating creation, okay? And the evening and the morning were the third day, and God saw, uh, Genesis 1.14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament, firmament again, I guess it mentions firmament seven times here, firmament, 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 and God saw, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. Now he's saying, hey, do you know how you make your calendar? I make time. I make the calendar. I am deciding. I am dividing my holy one light in your experience, right? So, and in this whole division, um, in doing so, you will be able to differentiate yesterday and tomorrow. And how are you going to map my time? How are you going to map my heaven? I'm going to put lights in the firmament. And this is what those lights are for. They're for signs. It's to, what does a sign do? It directs you on your way, right? If I, want to make, if I want to know where my road is to go home over here, there's a sign right there. And what does it tell me to do? Oh, go this way. What are, those, what are the lights for? What are the lights? We have no idea. What, what are, can anybody tell me exactly what the stars are? No, except some lights in the sky. What are their purpose though? In a teleological sense, right? When we look at the, for the purpose of all these things, what are they there for? To bring you home, to get you out of time. To get you back into the oneness of God. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. How do we make calendars? Does your calendar, have you ever seen, now you might have a lunar calendar. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, have you ever seen time differentiated in any calendar whatsoever that it wasn't based on the sun? The rising of the sun and the setting of the sun creates the day. That day and night. That's what differentiates our basic measurement of time. Okay? Hence why there's lots of sun god characters. Um... So there's that. 
There's your time, the, cre the creation of time. Um, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. What is light in this sense? Knowledge. Not only physical light so that we can see at night if we're hunting or going for a walk or whatever it is we do. Map and track time at night. It's also to give what? Light. Light is, of course, symbolic of knowledge, love, grace, that sort of thing. We all, we all basically get the symbolic understanding of what light is. And God made two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Once again, it's already saying that he made lights in the firmament. And then he's like, hey, he made the stars also, right? Greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. What is that? It's telling you it's the sun and the moon. It's the two celestial objects that are at least in our appearance, what it seems to us, the closer objects, okay? Which are they even really objects? They're metaphysical, right? This is, this is our cosmology. This is why it's so important to understand how all of these ancient traditions have tried to tell you where you are. Upstairs is metaphysical. Everything up there is metaphysical, meaning it is not a physical shape. The moon, the sun, the, the, the rainbow, the stars, none of that. Even the firmament itself is a is a barrier, but it's not a physical barrier, at least is what, what they're telling us. It is a metaphysical barrier, okay? So uh, he made the sun and the moon. Lesser light to rule the night. Why the lesser light? Once again, why would the moon be lesser in this sense? They're, well, number one, greater and lesser, they're just telling you about, once again, those, that duality, that, that unification of opposites. But then it's also saying, why would the moon be lesser in this sense? Well, because it's, the moon divides itself. The sun is always whole. Okay? That's why it's the greater light. It comes up. That's a circle. It's a circle. 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 Goes down. Circle. And it comes back up again. It's a circle. It's a circle. What is the moon? I don't know. With waxing, waning, gibbous, crescent. Where is it? I don't even know where it is on the horizon. Right? In this sense, what, is the, what does the moon and the sun represent? Chaos and order. Same sort of thing. Um... Um, but not literally. I, you don't mean that literally. This is, once again, just a represent a symbolic representation of the divide. Um, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Once again, he's seeing all this stuff that he's making. He's like, this is good. There ain't nothing bad thus far, is it? And then, and then the fourth day, he slipped into a little evil. Nope. Everything about God's creation, voila, nice work. Um, and the evening and morning were the fourth day, Genesis 1.19 says. 1.20 says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl, that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. This is, once again, as everything is reflecting on one another, what's happening in the stars is also reflecting on earth. What's happening in the waters above is reflecting on the waters below. So when they're creating these fowls of the air, and they're creating the moving creatures of the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. What's 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 happening here? Let's see if I can find my. It's creating those archetypes that happen above and below. Okay? The fowls of the air that are flying above. Okay? This is the constellations. It isn't to say that he's not that he isn't making actual beings down here. He is. Of course, it's reflected. There's no question here. But he's also saying what? We're making the patterns above as well. Our Father is making the patterns above. And um, and so you have that. So you've 
so you know God let them bring forth uh, abundantly the moving creature and of course there's an abundance of stars just like there's an abundance of life down here and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament in the open firmament what do what do birds do well they fly up in the open firmament what does Aquila do what does Cygnus do what does Phoenix do what does Lyra do they're flying in the open firmament and God created great whales Genesis 121 says and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters, the waters of heaven, brought forth abundantly after their kind. Notice how many times it says kind here. Kind, 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 kind. We just mentioned kind before. There's a, there's a ton of different ways. They could have said after their species. They, once again, they could have said a bunch of different words, but they didn't. Why? There's a reason. God created great whales of every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Did God say, eh, not bad, average, so-so, wildly mediocre? No. God said it was good. So once again, what are we referencing here? We're, we're referencing those, the archetypes, the, um, the constellations in the heaven. Okay? And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters in the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. In the earth. Once again, in the structure of the earth. If the fowls could fly up there, then there is no dome. No, they can fly under the dome. <laughs> can, a fly, can a bird fly in a big cage? Is it still not in a cage? Of course it is. Okay. So, and so he's seeing all of this goodness that he's making. Think about what he's saying. Once again, another mathematical term being used here. We have mathematical terms. First off, when God, when the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, face is a mathematical term. Like a polyhedra, hedra means essentially head, head, face. Okay? The face of a geometric object. Oh, this is being a total pain. Then... We have and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God said, and God said, and, once again, is an addition. And is an additional term. Then it goes on to say multiply. So now it's given you and God, and God said this. Then it's given you divide and multiply. All of these terms, what's happening? God, as we're going to see, God is differentiating his unity into the creation. There's no separation between anything that's being created and God himself. Okay? There's a multiplicity happening here. And God blessed them. Once again, he's blessing them, saying, Be fruitful, fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. In the earth. Okay? And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creature after bring forth the living creature after his kind. And creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. Okay. And God, uh, Genesis 125 says, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after his kind, after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth and after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So what is one of the things that's happening here? Oh, I'm already lost here. Um, once again, he's creating the fish. Pisces and the cattle, his Taurus, all these, the cattle, whales. This is Cetus. Where, what, by the way, Cetus is a big whale in the constellation. Where, where do you think Jonah was? Do you think Jonah was in an actual whale for three days? Or 
it's a story about astrology. And there's a big whale right there. And then the fowls of the air, Aquila, Cygnus. This is all poetic language to let you know what's happening in the story right now. He's creating the constellations above and the reflection of those below. Okay? And you see this, uh, once again, fish over the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle. This is all referencing to um, these constellations. Okay? So, then it says here... Um, well, let's keep going here. Genesis one twenty six, And God said... Listen to this. God, a singularity, as we said, in the beginning was that oneness, the totality and universality of God. Then God split himself and he said, oh, heaven, earth, right? And then it says here, and God said, comma, let us, what? Now God's plural? What happened here? Wait a second, what's going on here? Why is God referring to himself in a plurality now? Just as it says, Genesis 1, 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's one, it's, it's, it's not even a full sentence. It stops at the, the um, punctuation there, right? The colon. And it says, And God said this, Let us, so it's a plural, make our, plural, after our likeness, plural. This is the beginning of a sentence of which he's saying, and he's referring to himself in a multiplicity, in a plurality. What? Why? Because God is multiplying himself. God is not some being that's standing over here and making creation, and, and the creation is separate from him, and it's over there, and he's looking upon it, and he's like, hmm, interesting. No, God, that singularity of God has now, and God said, and God said this, and God, and God, and he's adding himself into the creation. He's dividing himself. He's multiplying himself within the creation. Okay? We see this. This is why he's referring to himself in a duality or a, a multiplicity, as I was saying. Plurality. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this is going to lead us right to Genesis 1 or Genesis chapter 2 and where heavens is plural now. So in the whole, and I'll show you this, in the whole first chapter, heaven, heaven, heaven. God created the heaven. Single, single, always single. Chapter 2, then it, then it brings heavens, and I'll show you this. And God said, let us make, make man in our image after our likeness. And then once again, then it's to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing upon the earth. Dominion over it. Now once again, the God in heaven has dominion over what? Everything, right? So he has dominion over the cattle and the fish and everything that's up in the dome of heaven. And now he's making you in his image. And what do you have? Once again, we could argue this all day long. We are clearly the apex beings on this earth. We're the ones that can command language and you know manipulate the material world and fabricate things and lie and, and tell truth and do math and all of this sort of stuff, right? We are clearly the beings down here who do have dominion over the fish, who do have dominion over the cattle. Then... Then it goes back to a singular. Look at this. 
So God created Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. Now it's a singular. Do the do the biblical readers or writers have no idea what the, did they not understand proper grammar or what's going on here? Right? No, they understood exactly what they were writing. Right? Why are why is God singular now? Because you are the singular spark of God. You're you're from the oneness. It's it's letting you know, hey, guess what? You come from that oneness. You are a part of that oneness. You are not separate from that oneness. Then it even goes on to say how you are to understand that oneness, and that's to unify the man and woman within you. That you're made from a polarity. You're made from opposites. Your mother and father, your mother's energy and your father's energy, Mater and Pater, had to come together and have sexual union, and the energies of both those beings created the electromagnetic vessel that is you. You are to understand that you are that one celestial beam of faith. You're the one light. And to merge those. So God created man in his own image. The image of God created he, him. It's a singular. And then he says, male and female created he, them. When he created the male and female, what is he saying? He's saying that within the male and female, within each male and female is a male and female. Is the energy, the metaphysical energy of the two exist within the singular body. God created man in his own image, in a singular image, in the image of God created he, him, Singular, male and female created he, them. There's a singularity, there's a, du there's a duality, male and female, and within that duality is a singularity. This is the crux of alchemy. It's the alchemical androgyne. And, and, androgen, I think is how you say that. The hermaphrodite. Male and woman. You'll see this all over. Okay. Um, this is the seventh hermetic principle as well. Uh, the great seventh uh, Essenic principle, the principle of gender in the Kabayan. This is number seven, I believe. Um, once again, the word gender is derived from the Latin root, meaning to, be, to beget, to produce. We're talking about Genesis. The great seventh uh, principle, the principle of gender embodies the truth that there is gender manifested in everything. That the masculine and feminine principles are ever-present and active in all phases of phenomenon and on each and every plane of existence. It is important to note that gender in its hermetic sense and sex in the ordinary accepted use of the term are not the same. Gender in this sense means, you know, when, when they talk about gender, that all things have gender, it's talking about the polarity of energy within you. Okay. A magnet splits. A magnet split in two makes two magnets. Yes. <laughs> and each one of those magnets have a polarity. Am I? Oh my God! It's glitching again, isn't it? Okay, is what it is. My Lord, that's frustrating. Okay, so does everybody see what's going on there? Okay. And the mystery. This comes from uh, this Kabbalist. Um, that I, that I really enjoy. Uh, and the mystery of the earthly and mortal man is after the mystery of the supernal and immortal one. And thus he was created in the image of God upon earth. Um, then it goes on to say, therefore, as an outward form of man corresponds to the tetragrammaton, which is the holy name of God, so does the animating soul correspond to the ten supernal sephiroth. And these find their ultimate expression in the trinity of the crown, which is royalty, and the king and the queen. So in order to understand your royalty, what you have to understand? You have to understand that you're made from those dualities, that, that polarity. And that polarity comes back to what? The mystery of the earthly and mortal man is after the mystery of the supernal 
an immortal one oneness. Now it says here, think about this. Once again, we're looking at God's imaginarium is really what we're looking at here. Okay, so think about the contradiction and the paradox, what's happening here. So Genesis 127 clearly says, it says it right here, God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So man was created allegedly in Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2, it says, um, but uh, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of man, and man became a living soul. But I thought man was already formed. Oh, this man was formed of the dust of the ground. So you see what's happening? And I'm, I'm just going to mention this here because this is really a live stream in and of itself to kind of, you know, suss out all the things that's going on here. But what it, what it tells you is that to read this in any sort of literal, literal, uh, literal sort of like, um, once again, sequential way is completely fruitless. There's lots of stuff going on here that gets completely overlooked. Okay, so I just want to mention that as to show you that, look, we're in God's imagination right now. That's what God's doing. He's forming creation and he's, you know. Okay, no glitches here. Good, thank you so much. Um, so there's that. Okay, let's, there's a few more things I want to talk about here. So this is the end of the, the verse here, okay? It says, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. There's that idea once again, that um, there's a seed, the seed within it is going to capture the whole thing. To you, it shall be for meat. Okay. So a lot of people have looked at this verse and become veg. I mean, I actually know somebody, I'm pretty sure anyway, that is a vegetarian because of this verse. Okay. And it says it pretty clearly, right? I've given all of this stuff for you to eat. Okay. And it's for meat. Um, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in, in the, in the, which is the fruit of a tree. Once again, clearly, you know, is that, is that a, did they just screw up the grammar or is there something else going on there? Okay. In the, which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for meat. Meat in a general sense is food in this sense. It's not necessarily animal flesh, but one of the reasons that they're putting it, I'll show that in just a second. So we're supposed to be vegetarians. But then you look at the next verse and it says this, and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth where, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So apparently the all the animals are supposed to be vegetarians. Like my, my dogs do monorotational feeding. And let, let me just tell you, they love meat day. They, they can't wait for Thursdays or is it Wednesdays? My wife feeds the dogs uh, for meat day because they love meat, right? The idea that, you know, we're supposed to be vegetarian because of that line, and then you forget the next line, where apparently the animals are supposed to be vegetarians too. What is it saying here, okay? Well, we know that human beings, for the longest time, I mean, since time immemorial, as far as we know, have been eating animals. And we also know that animals eat animals, you know? Snakes is going to swallow that frog, and that crocodile or alligator, whatever it is, is definitely going to eat that zebra, and that other, whatever that monster is, a leftover dinosaur, those are jokes, is eating that goat, whatever it is. The lion is just ripping open the carcass. You know, we live out in the woods, and during the summer, every once in a while, we hear a pack of wild wolves go ape shit because they just ate something, you know? We know that animals eat other animals, and we know that killing is part of the deal down here, right? Um, hunting has, of course, been known for you know, ages. And, you know, like once again, I lived on Hawaii and the island of Hawaii, the very place 
that you could be a vegetarian, right? If food grows year round, there's ton. You can grow pretty much anything there. And do you know what the Polynesians were? They were hunters and fishermen. So they could have had every opportunity to be vegetarians and they didn't. Now, this isn't a conversation about vegetarian and veganism or anything like that. What I'm saying is that, oh, by the way, of course we're not supposed to be necessarily, this isn't what I'm saying here is, this is obviously not verses to tell you to be vegetarian. Just look at the next, as we just covered, Abel was, he was, uh, you know, loved by God. He saw favor in God's eye. And what did Abel do? He brought him dead sheep. That's what he brought to God. Then Jesus feeds the multitude with feeds almost 5,000 people, 5,000 people with two, two fishes. So here Jesus is feeding. So obviously when we look in the context of the rest of the Bible, no, this is obviously not verses meant to tell you about being a vegetarian. What is it then? Well, as we know, we're saying, look, animals are eating other animals. Human beings have known to be hunters, right? Guess what? If the food supply went down tomorrow, if the grocery stores were empty, People would be back to hunting day one to feed themselves, okay? Why is it saying this? Because, well, first off, when we look at the terms, it's a juxtaposition of opposites, right? As we know, meat, now meat in an archaic sense can mean food of any kind, but once again, they could have used any verbiage there that they wanted. They could have been, and this green herb is for your nourishment. They could have picked a ton of different words, but they didn't, they used meat, why? Because this is not talking, well, let me say this. This is a reference to a place in which there's no death. There's no killing going on. There's no, right? Everything, everything that the animals and the, and the man, men are eating is of a spiritual sustenance. Okay? Any plant with leaves, seeds, or flowers is an herb. And then they saying, hey, we're going to give you this herb for meat. What is meat? It's generally known as the flesh of an animal. So it's, once again, this is a juxtaposition of opposites. They're putting these terms together purposefully. This is a the classic move in, in literature, by the way. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else. Anyway, so what are they setting up here? This is a place of no harm, no death, no killing. This is what it is. Okay, once again, there is no, um, this is a place, there's no death yet. There hasn't been any death. There's no evil either. So, and you even see this further with the, it says here, um, Genesis, it says, every green herb for meat I've given to the, to, to the beasts. Well, what's the term? Once again, all of these, all of this language is nuanced and, and particular, specific. What is green? Well, it's a merging of the colors yellow and blue. What is yellow? Well, it's the light of the sun. It's the golden light of the sun. It's the golden light of truth, Right. Um, usually referencing day, which is light, that sort of thing. What's blue? What's this color of the water and the sky, of course, reflecting on one another? You mix these two and what do you get? Green. What is, what is green? Your heart chakra is, you know, always given the distinction of the color green. Green stands for balance, nature, spring, and rebirth. It is a symbol of prosperity, freshness, and progress. So all of this language is being used very particularly to let you know where you are and what, what is being described here. This is a place of, wow, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Be fruitful, multiply. Everything I've given you is good, right? It should, be, it should bear you nourishment in this sort of sense, right? Everything has life. So it's setting up the Garden of Eden. That's what it's doing. It's setting up a place where there is, once again, no death. Now look at um, everything after its kind, after its kind. And then he did this, and it was after its kind, and after its kind, and after its kind. Once again, they could have used 10, 20 different words for that. Species, genus, 
whatever, right? Just go to a, you know, go to your thesaurus and just pick out any ones you want to use. They didn't use any of them. They, they repeated the word kind. Why? Because it's trying to get you to understand what's happening here. Kind is not only a reference to a group of people or things having similar characteristics. It's where we get the word kin, like your brother is your kin, right? But kind is a comparative, um, uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, having or showing a friendly, generous, or considerate nature. That's what God's doing. He's like, I make this. And after day one, I was like, that's good. And then the next thing is like, and it was good. And then he did this next thing, and it was good. Okay? It's setting up this paradisical place of no death, the Garden of Eden, which is literally what you find in the next few chapters. Okay? So not only is Genesis setting up your cosmology, but it's telling you about how God made everything and everything is ordered and everything has a purpose. And then he's also talking about this place in which you can go to where there's no death. There's no animals eating other animals. There's no need to hunt. You can just go right to the tree and just pick things off and it'll be for your spiritual nourishment. And this is what, you know, it's, this is the language, specific language that's being used. Genesis 1.10, and it was good. So it was good. Genesis 1.12. It was good. 18. It was good. 21. It was good. 25. It was good. 31. It was very good. Ooh, very good, huh? Goodness is throughout all of Genesis. It's trying to tell you about the nature of God, the nature of the paradisical place that you want to return to, that oneness with God. It was good. It was kind. Go forth abundantly. Abundance. It was blessed. Be fruitful. Multiply. Uh, you know, replenish the earth, which I didn't even mention. Like, go forth and replenish the earth. Wait a second. If this is a first creation story, God's creating everything and making plenty himself, plentifying, if you will, is that even a word? Making plentiful everything that's in creation. Re means to do again. How did, why would we need to replenish anything? Replenish means that there was a destruction and now you have to go forth and replenish. Okay. So, so that's, that's what's being set up there, right? Um, and I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, very good. Green is the color of the heart chakra. Yes, yes. Is the two fishes reference about Pisces constellation? Yes, it is. We actually covered that laundry mat. Yes, we did. We actually showed the math in that as well. It's about 5,000. Um, it's a reference to multiplying one through seven. Guys, I want you to um, do me a favor. Multiply one times two times three times four times five times six times seven. I want you to do that. And then I want you to multiply the gematria total, the gematria uh, numbers in the word multiply. So let me say that again. All right, guys, I want you, homework, multiply one through seven, one times two times three times four times five times six times seven. And then I want you to multiply the individual gematria total values of the letters multiply and see what you come up with. And that'll be fun. Okay. So we find this goodness all over Genesis. And it was good, and it was good, it was good. It's kind, abundant, blessed, fruitful, multiply, be plentiful, replenish, all of these things, right? Okay, so that's the end of it. And then we'll get into Genesis 1-2 in just one second here. So that was the end of the verse. And it says, um, this is the last. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it ends on 31 verses. 31 verses, right? Now, and I've said this incorrectly, I, I believe, in the past. Um, so let me fix my mistake now. God, in those 31 verses, is mentioned 32 times. I'll show you. 
So there it is. God is mentioned 32 times in the first chapter of Genesis 1. 32 times. 32 times. Okay? 32 is an extremely important number in English gematria. In fact, English equals 32 and gematria equals 32 and Christ equals 32. Okay? Um, this is Kabbalah. There are 32 paths of the secret wisdom in Kabbalah. And this is known as the 10 Sephiroth and the 22 letters of the Hebrew Kabbalah in, in Hebraic Kabbalah. Um, just in general, it's, third, it's 32 paths of wisdom. It's explained as creation, just as we explain. Uh, it explained that creation is a process involving the 10 divine numbers, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, of God and the Creator, the God the Creator, and the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And together they were said to constitute the 32 paths of secret wisdom. And this is exactly why there's 32 mentions of God in those verses. In the first chapter, 32 mentions of God. Now, there's 31 verses though, right? Well, do you know what 31 is? It's a prime number, which means it's, number, it's a number divisible by 1 in itself. Which means its divisors are 1 and 31. Well, what does 1 and 31? What, how, 31 has 1 and 31 as, as its divisors. What does 1 plus 31 add to? 32. 32. So God's mentioned 32 times in 31 verses. 31 is the prime number. And 31... 31 and 1 equals 32. Now, look at the divisors. Look at... Look at what's happening in the verses. And God said, and God, and God. He took a singularity of God and multiplied himself. The essence, emanations, everything that's from God took from this singularity, mainly because God was bored. <laughs> and he multiplied himself. And God said this, and God this. And then he divided. Then he multiplied and multiplied. Go the, and then he divided and he divided. Look at the number 32. Its factorization is this. 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2. Its divisors are 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, and 32. So the divisors of the number 32, the number of times God is mentioned in the entire chapter of Genesis, is 32. The divisors of 32, the number 32, secret paths of wisdom, is 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, and 32. Do you guys know, once again, I'm just going to mention this here um, in our, um, oh, where are we? In meiosis, in cell, once again, we're talking about Genesis. And, and once again, I'll do a whole live stream on this. Genesis is reflective of human genetics. The creation story of you is reflective of the creation story of the whole thing. The number 32 has its divisors of 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. This is exactly the process of cell division in the creation of the universe of you. One cell becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32, 32 becomes 64, 128, 256, etc., etc., etc. To do what? To start out from a singularity, multiply into a multiplicity, to ultimately do what? Create one human being that's in the reflection of God, made in His image. Okay? Everybody get that. I'm going over that kind of quick, but I think that you'll understand. I think you I think you get it. Okay? So there's the 32 times. I wrote them all out for you. Now, um, we don't need to go into that. Now, let's go. So now it goes, we finished Genesis 1-1. Now we're going to go into Genesis 1-2. Then it says this. 
Genesis 2, 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens. Plural. The entire first chapter. Heaven. Heaven, 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 heaven. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God called the firmament heaven. God said, let the waters under the heaven. Firmament of the heaven. Firmament of the heaven. Firmament of the heaven. Firmament of heaven. I think it says heaven seven times. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it says seven times. Um, singular, 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 singular. Then it gets to chapter two, and all of a sudden heaven becomes plural now. And then it repeats it. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. It doesn't say earths, by the way. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. On the seventh day, God ended his work. We all know, and he rested. And then on the seventh day, he sanctified it. Sanctified basically just means make sacred, right? In this sort of sense, hallowed, divine. Genesis 2, 4 says, these are the generations. He uses the word generations to let you know. Genes, generations, gender, genitive, genus, genus. Generations of the heavens and of the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So now we get this introduction of not only heavens. In the beginning, God created the singular heaven and the earth. Genesis 2, that's the heavens. So not only are we given the introduction of the plurality of heavens, but what also are we given? Lord God. There's no mention of Lord in any any verse in Genesis 1. None. Literally none. It's God did this and God did that. And then God did this and then God made that. And then God saw that it was good. And then God blessed this. And then God did this. And then he said, go forth and he said this. And then God made light and said that was good. God, 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 God. That's all you get. Then you get to Genesis 2. Now all of a sudden we get Lord God. Well, who's Lord? Who's Lord? These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, capitalized by the way, Lord God, made the earth and the heavens. Well, who's the Lord God? Well, we've, are, we've discussed this. You. What's God doing now? Why is heaven plural? Why is heaven plural now? Read what it says. Genesis 2.1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Let's read it again. Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Who? God has singularly differentiated himself into the, into the multiplicity of creation, ultimately coming back to the oneness, always coming back to the source. Right now, he's taken that singular heavens or singular heaven, multiplied it into heavens, and now apparently there's beings down here that are hosting that heaven. Who's hosting the heavens? You are hosting the heavens now. That's within you. It's in here. It's reflecting from above down into your head, into your heart, into the entire temple of your being. There's no longer a singular heaven anymore. Now it's heavens. You're hosting heaven and you're hosting heavens and you're hosting heavens and you have the divine spark and you have the scintilla of God. You're all hosting heaven now. And this is the entire crux of 
In other words, you, you really can't understand the Bible unless you understand first and foremost who the Lord is. Well, the Lord's Christ. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Now, where is Christ? And who is Christ? I want to get to heaven. That's what I want to do. Well, you got to find out where it is. It's exactly where the Bible tells you. I'm going to play this clip again. In Gnostic or Esoteric Christianity, the Lord represents the singular consciousness of the human being, or the spark or scintilla of God that rests within every single human being. This is the Lord, and God represents the totality or wholeness of the great Creator. This singular Lord consciousness and this infinite God consciousness, this separate but unified duality is also found in Hinduism as well, with Brahman the cosmic God or the totality or universal God, and the singular point of consciousness being called the Atman, or literally what we can view as the God that dwells at man. Um, most people don't know this, and it's not discussed by the rabbis, and it's not discussed by the scholars. But we all know it when we read the Bible that there are usually two names. The use of these two different names was deliberate, has specific meaning, and may be at the basis of the whole system. Um, most people think that Abraham discovered the one God. That's the, the throwaway line that we're taught. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that in the world, um, for millennia, people understood um, the forces of nature and worship them as a kind of God and a pantheon of gods in the outer world. I think people also had a personal inner experience of meditation, spiritual experience, and they knew about these things. What Abraham discovered is that the internal spiritual experience and the external world are the same thing. That sounds like the fundamental insight of uh, the Hindu tradition that Atman, the essence within, and Brahman, the, the God of the universe, are one. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. um. fundamental, the fundamental spiritual insight in Brahmanism is the exact same fundamental spiritual insight in Christianity. You know why? Because when you get past the surface layer of all these things, truth sits there, just waiting to be found. Okay? So... Once again, Genesis, heaven, 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 Genesis 1, and then we get to heavens in Genesis 2, and all the host of them. You are hosting the heavens now. So, this is why I'm so staunch about reading the authorized King James Version. Now just go to any other Bible translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. New International Version. You butchered it. New Living Translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You butchered it. English Standard Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You butchered it again. Berrien Study Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You butchered it again. King James. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Christian Standard Bible. God created the heavens. Holman Christian Standard Bible. God created the heavens. American Standard Version. God created the heavens. Aramaic Bible in plain English. In the beginning, God created the heavens. You wouldn't go and 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 do a <laughs> like. We're gonna go take the works of James Joyce or maybe um, William Shakespeare or or something, and then we're just gonna dumb it down so it's easier for people to read. What? What? No, you wouldn't do that. Of course you wouldn't do that. 
any literary like professor of literature or scholar of English, you know, writing or whatever, right? Would be like, no, you can't do that. That's like a classic work of literature. Why would you do that? And what do we have with our Holy Bible? The exact same, the exact thing happening. A dumbing down, a butchering of the original text. In my book, which you should all get, uh, the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, I have a chapter in the back explaining some of these things um, and why the authorized King James Version is the one that you should be reading. And that's the one that, of course, that we um, sell at the site as well. So, all right. I just One more thing. Why seven days? We've covered this so many times. Number one, seven in the cipher, you know, encodes a, equates a, equates to pi. It's a common, widely used abbreviation, approximation of pi in codes. But seven's right on your hands. Adding one through seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven equals 28. Those are the 28 phalanges. We see Genesis 1, 1 in English or in Hebrew fits on your hands. Um, there's the Genesis 1, 1 uh, words and letters in Hebrew. Seven words, 28 letters. Once again, adding one through seven is 28. That's right on your hands and your feet. It's all pointing to you. But what God did his work in six and rest on a seventh. And this is all pointing to where heaven is now hosted. And that's within you. Where the Lord is, where the why the Lord God is being introduced, right where it says heavens, 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 and all the host of them, and then Lord God, why, why? Because it's trying to tell you where God is, up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse. Those six days of creation all rest and are sanctified on that Sabbath day, on that holy day, on that origin point, and that's in the center of you. There's math behind your spiritual trajectory. There's math behind your spiritual quest. There's mathematics to finding God. Okay? So that's Genesis. I mean, like I said, that was a shellac version. It really was setting, it was literally laying down the primer so that we could actually do some actual painting. There's lots and, I mean, I pretty much could cover Genesis for the next three months or something. No joke. I'm not even being. I'm not even exaggerating. There, we could just do a live stream on the on the on the Hebrew version of Genesis and just looking at the mathematics encoded in the Hebrew version. We could do of Genesis one one, and that would be a live stream in and of itself. So we will touch on this again. I definitely want to do the math involved, um, but you know I, I, that tend that can tend to drive people away. I've, I've come to find I do too much math and I'm like oh, I don't understand this. I'm not here, Marty. You're just talking crap. So, um, but there's lots more. There's lots more. That was, like I said, a shellac. Uh, literally, like, we just laid the primer down. Okay, that's all we did there. But I wanted to cover some of those things to put those ideas in your head to help you understand, you know, to try to help you understand what you're reading. If you, when you look at, I'll just say this, and I've got to get out of here. When you look at things like this and understand how to read Scripture in this way, it's not exclusive to the Bible. Like I just said, let's go to the let's go to the Upanishads now. Oh, let's go to the Poetic Edda over here. Oh, let's go to the Mahabharata over here. Do you think that your exegesis of those things should be any different? No, of course not. Why? Because all of them are holding the eternal truths. Period. They are. Period. That's why religions, true religions, the great traditions are formed. I'm not going to say the same thing about Scientology, of course, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. So, all right. Thank you guys so much. I knew that was a little bit long one, but uh, it was definitely, definitely worth it. I hope you guys all learned for something. Small Axe, thank you for the $10. I think you threw 10 bucks here. Oh, thank you. So good. Why is it that every week between Marty and Amor's work, I get all choked up and teary? Are we making you cry? 
Are you making you cry? It was a single tear. It was the loveliest of all tears. And for all you cry, love, fable fans were keen on the pretty, pretty common face thing you might meet by Hope Harrods, for it was a leaf tear. But the river tripped on her by and by, lapping as though her heart was broke, saying, why, why, way, way. I see so silly to be flowing, but I know it cannot stay. No applause for these bastards. Rome's got an auto shaker. We'll go around your circulation. And Dewey Durst says, all right, that's going to do it for me, guys. I just some rope memorization I did with James Joyce a long time ago. Okay, thank you so much. If you guys get a chance, um, which you have a chance, you have time in your day, you should stop on over to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. That's Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, and that's my good bud Amor over there, and he's going to have a, another teaching and preaching for you. Um, he's been doing, last couple Sundays, he's been doing biblical non-duality. Hey, look at that. <laughs> We're like two peas in a little gay pod, Amor and I are. We're talking about the same thing. Biblical non-duality. All of that duality that we saw in Genesis, and where does it lead to? Oneness with God. Okay, so uh, check check them out. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. G give Amor some love there. Uh, biblical non-duality seated in the heavenly realm is what he's going to be talking about today. So go on over and stop by. Okay, if you want to become a member, I really appreciate it. You can do your tithing. Five bucks a month, 14 quarterly, or 54 for the year. It's the best way to support the work. That way you don't have to give money to freaking YouTube or any of those other places. Okay? And that's uh, that's the best way to support. Um, this book I will be... Um, the new edition, uh, the Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis, will be ready. Should be next week. I had to do a few more changes in this. Um, it's looking really great. I'm loving it. I really happy with how it's turned out and the changes and things that I've made. And so if you uh, get a chance, pick that up as well. That's pretty great. And of course, uh, Lord Jesus Christ and all the other fun stuff you can get over at GnosticAcademy.org. GnosticAcademy.org. Okay, that's going to do it for me, guys. Uh, I love you guys so much. Thank you all for joining me today. I really appreciate everybody that stops by. Uh, Mike Bravo, Nicholas Burnett, Jacob Law, Beth Henson, Benjamin Balderson. What is happening, brother? Good shows lately, by the way. I don't, I don't comment enough. Um, the laundromat, Zoe, Zoe, uh, I love all you guys. I really appreciate everybody that stops by, okay? Uh, share this work, by the way. Share this work if you can. I'm not on any social media. I don't, I just can't do it anymore. It just drives me nuts. And, um, so the only way that this gets out is by word of mouth. So if you get a chance, please spread the word, okay? I thank you very much. And may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, that's going to do it for me. Guys, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, right? I believe it is. Got to check my calendar. Of course, we'll be talking about Easter. Why? Of course, we'll do an Easter service. And I think I'm going to bring a different uh, perspective to it than, than I have before. We'll see. So, all right, guys, I will see you next Sunday. As always, many blessings and much love to all.